Welcome to another episode as part of our Pearson podcast series. I'm your host, Andrew Walker. I'm pleased to be coming to you this time from City Hall, where we'll hear from the Mayor of Victoria and Pearson alum, Marion Alto. This time, I would like to take this moment to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from the unceded territory of the Songhees and Esquimalt people. And our campus, Pearson College UWC, sits on the unceded territory of the Chianu First Nation. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Mayor Alto. Now, before we get into your time at Pearson, our listeners, including those who knew you as a long-serving city councillor, are eager to know what made you decide to throw your hat into last year's mayoral race? <laughs> I ask myself that question often. Um, it was a long and difficult decision, actually. I took um, quite a long time to think about the pros and cons, and I think I came to a point where uh, two things happened. Uh, one, I, I was in a place where I was content with what I had achieved as part of the council over 12 years and that allowed me to be in a place where although I obviously really wanted to be mayor I wouldn't have gone through the trouble of trying to be elected Uh, at the same time I was also quite content that there were many other avenues for me to offer public service and so if it turned out I wasn't elected that was okay too so I think it's important when you're you know striving for uh, a position like that that you really are genuinely comfortable Uh, with whatever the outcome might be. Obviously, it's the oddest job description on the planet because you don't exactly know what people are looking for or what criteria they use to make their decision. And obviously, there's thousands of people that you never meet who are essentially hiring you. Uh, So it is a bit peculiar. But I think when you're in that place where you can go, okay, you know, I, I think I am able to contribute something important from this position. But if that's not what the people want, that's okay too. And I can find many other ways to serve. And I think secondarily as well, um, you know, I had been a counselor for 12 years and had done what I think is a you know, decent enough job, but there was quite a lot of work that I wanted to continue, but also quite a lot of work that I didn't want to be lost. And I wasn't convinced that uh, any of the other candidates would have that same view of the importance of what had already been done and would work to continue that uh, and to protect what had already been done. So kind of twofold. And safe to say there's, I guess, a substantial increase in your workload as mayor versus your time as city councillor. <laughs> yeah, yes, but it's less so much about the time than it is about what the work actually is. Uh, I always treated being a council member as a full-time job, and so I worked routinely, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And being mayor is a little bit, a little bit more from a time perspective, but I think the real difference is in the type of work as a council member, it's kind of like when you look at a board, the difference between the president and the vice president or the chair and a, and a, and a director. As a vice president or a director, you tend to do a lot of project work and you work, you do work, you do work on things that are specific. When you're the president or the chair, and you know the difference here the same way as a mayor versus council member or counselor, you look at a bigger picture and over a longer term and you're trying to ensure that the work that gets done by staff and council actually fits into a, a larger plan and the, the connections are on a different scale. I do a lot more work with other governments, um, a lot more work with uh, larger interests and really looking at the bigger picture from that sense of what is it that we need to accomplish between now and October of 2026. And for me, I think my council members uh, who are all new <laughs> uh, are getting a bit bored with my repetitive message of long game, long game. Remember, you don't have to do everything by Tuesday. 
Uh, and that's the role uh, to a certain extent of the mayor is to be able to continue to remind people to look at that longer game and understand that there is ample amount of time to accomplish a lot of good work. And I think that's really important for me because my, in my other job, I'm a facilitator by trade. And I think that that is an important set of skills uh, from the mayor's chair because you are facilitating a group of people, in this case, a group of very inexperienced people who are tremendously talented and have the best of intentions, but aren't entirely comfortable with exactly how to do the work or what's possible. And so being a facilitator from the mayor's chair means helping them put their best pitch forward for all of their ideas. Whether or not I agree with them is kind of irrelevant. Part of my job is to ensure that they get to do their job in the best possible way with the best possible outcome. Uh, and then that council then gets to hear that from the perspective of, uh, of that quality presentation. And with seven new councillors elected, how has it been working with all those fresh faces at the table? <laughs> yeah, it's been very interesting. And I actually think of it as eight because even Councillor Coleman, who you know, is the eighth council member who has been elected before, he retired in 2018 and so was not present during what we refer to as the COVID term which clearly had, as is true for everyone, you know, a profound impact on how we do the work and what work we do. And so, although he has really important and very welcome historical experience, uh, the currency of his experience is really at the same level as the other seven members of council. And so it is, it is a group entirely of new people in my head, and uh, that has had its own challenges, but certainly it's incredibly interesting and exciting as well. One of the things that I did do in the fall is that in anticipating and reviewing sort of the histories of the folks who were elected, a couple of whom I had actually never met, which was quite curious, um, I actually made the decision and went to work with senior staff to essentially pull everything off of our agenda that had any complexity or any controversy, simply by virtue of the fact that we knew quickly that this group of people uh, didn't know how to make decisions in this particular context mm -hmm. as, council, as, as council members, as elected people. And so we literally pulled everything uh, off the agenda and spent two months training them. And so we put them through governance training, media training, um, unlearning racism uh, workshops, indigenous training, uh, all sorts of things, uh, and really put them through an intensive training program. At the same time as going through our regular meetings, but with very, very light agendas. So we had a chance to see how things worked, but we're dealing with things that were you know, a, bit, a bit simpler than you might otherwise uh, have. And that did cause a bit of controversy because we did have a couple of very, very big, complicated uh, land use applications that were put off for a couple of months. Uh, but it was up to me to go back to those applicants and say, look, you know, your choice is you can come now and I don't know what will happen <laughs> because, and you don't either, or you can come early in the spring and you'll be in a position where, you know, you may or may not be accepted, but at least you'll be confident that everyone is coming at it uh, with a baseline understanding of how to make decisions and you'll get a fair hearing. Absolutely. And uh, everyone with whom I spoke was happy to do the latter. And so it's been an interesting group because they've learned really fast. They're, they're very, very keen. They have a lot of ambitious ideas. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how those unfold. And I, again, I go back to saying, pace yourself, pace yourself, pace yourself. Uh, you've got three and a half more years to accomplish a lot of stuff. And uh, frankly, it's important to take the time to bring people along with you. Uh, because ultimately always, you know, your outcomes are better when people understand them and are part of the process as opposed to being, you know, part of the outcome. So what are your main priorities for your for your term? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, obviously in Victoria, which is so many different places is the same. You know, housing is a critical issue here. You know, we have an extremely expensive city to live in and uh, a very um, insufficient supply of potential housing units. 
It's not just about supply, it's also about affordability, but the two things are inextricably linked because you can't just have a massive amount of supply without there being some affordability. Conversely, you can't just have affordable housing from the perspective of being able to ensure that you have things that are uh, appealing and uh, able to be purchased, rented, whatever, um, across the whole continuum of the cost of living and the cost of housing. So I think that's there's no doubt that that's number one. Uh, I think there's there's so many linked issues around transportation that support housing and affordability. And so that's something that we obviously don't work on alone. We have to work on a, that from a regional level. And so there's work being done at the Capital Regional District Board, of which I'm also a part, but also with our colleagues in other municipalities, for sure. We set a very high priority in the city uh, on the relationships with uh, our, the closest Indigenous nations. Our city sits in its entirety on the lands of the Songhees and Esquimalt uh, nations, the Lekwungen people. Mm -hmm. uh, they do not uh, primarily live here. The lands to which they were directed um, a century ago are actually not in the city of Victoria. Uh, they actually lie in the municipalities of View Royal and Esquimalt. Having said that, we recognized some years ago that because the city sits on their land, that those were the nations with whom we needed to uh, have the most connection and to whom we've reached out very proactively over the last 10 years or so. And so that continues to be a huge priority. We have a very unique model of doing that. We can speak about it another time if you like, because it's the only one that operates this way uh, that we can find on the continent, which has been very productive um, and has really enriched our relationship. So that continues to be a priority for sure. Um, once you get past sort of those big three, uh, then you're starting to talk about some of the secondary aspects. So certainly there's ongoing um, expressions of concern around the, I think, degradation of uh, civil discourse and uh, a real significant change that happened through COVID, but I think even before COVID, and I think COVID uh, exacerbated it, and that is a complete sort of reimagination of uh, social behavior and the interaction of people one to another and the groups. And uh, it, is, it is a very different world now than it was even five years ago. And uh, that has a significant impact on the community as a whole, but certainly from a governance perspective too. So that, you know, the civil, civil discourse, civil behavior is something that we're trying to model at, uh, at council, which goes back to my earlier comments around, uh, you know, pacing and being methodical. And the, the theme for me for all of these sort of um, priorities comes down to the realization that Victoria has been a big town for a long time uh, and is, if it's not already, it's certainly about to lurch into being a city and with all of the usual urban challenges uh, associated with that. And for me, my under underlying uh, goal for all of this work is to situate it in intentionality. And so I spoke a lot during the campaign and continue to do so about the intentional transformation of Victoria into a city. Uh, and to look at that as a real opportunity, something that's exciting and positive and something that we will embrace. Change is hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Change is really hard. And uh, for those of us who've been here a long time, you know, I came back uh, after being away at university, uh, you know, 30 years ago. And uh, that city doesn't exist, the one that I came home to now. Uh, and nor should it. it. You know, cities evolve and they should. And so for me, it's very much about doing intentional planning, you know, imagining a future intentionally uh, transformed into something where, you know, my kids will be able to live here, will want to live here, and theirs, and the seven generations is what the Indigenous nations speak about uh, planning. And uh, that's a long time, but it is a good thing to keep in mind. And so for, for me, it's all about uh, being proactive, uh, being intentional, uh, ensuring that nothing happens too randomly, 
uh, and really embracing Victoria as a city of the future and as a city. Uh, it is a city. It's, it's an awkward city in the sense that it's the core of a larger region. Don't even get me started on amalgamation. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the 13 municipalities that are all contiguous uh, you know, create about 400,000 people, but the city itself is less than 100. And that's something that people forget because we, we are the downtown of the region and we deal with downtown issues on a very urban level. Uh, and it is somewhat frustrating sometimes to be in that situation because of the fact that our tax base is based only in the city. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, for me, the future is all about intentional transformation and a variety of really key pieces. Absolutely. Let's shift gears and talk about your time at Pearson. You attended mm -hmm. uh, the college between 1975 and 1977. Long the, time ago. <laughs> yeah, part of the early cohorts at the school. Mm -hmm. How was your experience? It was an interesting experience because for me, unusually, I had never gone to school before. And so um, my family retired from the armed forces at a relatively young age. And so, uh, and I, have, I had siblings who were very, very much older than I. And so they had already left. And so I traveled with my parents for much of my childhood uh, up until I went to Pearson. And so for me, the experience I think was quite unique. It's unique for everyone, of course, but for me, I think particularly unique because I had had no classroom teachings at all. And in those days, even the classrooms were very basic. Uh, the, what we used to call the little lecture theater, there were no chairs, no tables, no nothing. So we all sat on the floor. Uh, and the classrooms were the common rooms in each of the houses. And again, we sat on couches and on the floor. Right? It was pretty relaxed. And so for, for many of the people, I think probably the majority of the people who were there who had come from more conventional educational uh, concepts, uh, it was a bit lax. And, and people actually found it almost too relaxed. And, and I know a lot of folks found it difficult to learn in that relatively unrestricted, uh, uncoordinated, and... Uh, fairly unscheduled type of, of program. For me, it was exactly the opposite. Uh, I had never spent, as a young person, more than a couple of months in the same place. And so, you know, being there by Christmas time, I was pretty antsy. <laughs> it's like, time for me to travel again. Where can I go? So that was a different perspective, and certainly it was a big challenge for me, without a doubt. Uh, and, you know, I came from parents who were very progressive and whose mantra was, you can do anything you want. So. I picked a series of, of courses which perhaps weren't the most clever for someone who had never had any uh, conventional uh, education. So I took a lot of sciences, um, not very, I, I knew a lot of stuff by living and my, my experience was very helpful. Um, but uh, certainly I took a lot of challenging courses and where I think I enjoyed myself the most and learned the most and probably excelled was in what we at that point called the services. And so I was part of the forestry service and part of the sea rescue service. And, um, and so that interaction with both community as well as with other students, I think was remarkable. And is, is for me still one of the most attractive and interesting and useful things about the college structure is that uh, ability to provide that concept of being of service. Uh, and so that, that for me was probably the most uh, telling and uh, the most influential that opportunity. And yeah, you know, the typical stories of uh, learning from other cultures and, uh, you know, although I had traveled with my parents into Central America, you know, my, in my first year, my roommates were from Egypt, Japan, and Germany. Wow. And so uh, that was an extraordinary experience, right, living <laughs> with those three people. And yeah, classic experiences where, you know, the first time it snowed, my Egyptian roommate wouldn't go outside because oh, no. it was like, you know, <laughs> the sky is falling and you're kind of like, well, no, no, actually it's okay, right? Uh, 
But even those simple things were uh, really remarkable. And I think it's that uh, curiosity that was fostered, that ability to uh, see the reality of individuals as they interacted, despite the fact that they might have come from places which were on a national or political scale in opposition to one another. And you know, that's, uh, that for me is one of the core benefits of the, the whole college system from UWC. Do you think that Pearson at the time offered you learning and experiences that you might not have gotten at a more traditional school that offered the traditional high school diploma? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the, the academic work was difficult, but it wasn't particularly unusual. Mm -hmm. And certainly those programs exist now in many, many schools um, around the world. But I think it's the context in which the teaching happened which was unique. And, and that's, you know, that's what I refer to in that sense of I learned more from the people than I did from the books. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, no doubt at all. And you know, the experiences of having close contact over a year you know, with those three nationalities, and, and in my second year, I think I had another Canadian, which was unusual, and then a young woman from, I think it was Taiwan, if I, can't re if I remember correctly. Um, and I mean, so there was a real diversity of that interaction, and then of course with the whole college itself. The, the context of the teaching, I think, was much more valuable and useful and un unusual and, and unique than the actual teaching itself. Teachers were fine, you know, they, they, were, they were as good or, or not as any other institution, um, but it was the departure in those days from the institution of learning, which I think was unique, and certainly for people in that era, for me anyway, which was a really, I think a real curiosity builder and a, and a really unique experience. Uh, in those days too, because it was so early, you know, year two, who can imagine that long ago, you know, we did stuff like we were, when I went there, they were still roofing the houses. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it was a wholly different experience. And I, and I have been back to the college a number of times. And even, even not that long after that, you know, 10 or 15 years after that, which, you know, it's a long time ago still, but it wasn't that long from the time that I was there, uh, it had changed a lot. And I, and I think over time, it has, honestly, in my view, it has become a much more conventional institution. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, ha it has, you know, aligned itself probably necessarily uh, with being a more conventional approach to different types of teaching. And it, it, it's almost as if the first few years were so new and so unstructured and so unconstructed that it allowed a lot more latitude in how we learned and what we learned because it went far beyond uh, what was in the syllabus, what was in the curriculum. And I'm, I'm not sure that it's to that extent anymore. I don't, I don't know that well enough to be able to comment on that, I guess, uh, with any accuracy. But certainly when I've been there, it's been my impression that it's, it's, um, it's more institutional than it was 35 or 40 years ago, for sure. Absolutely. Are you still in touch with any of your former classmates? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, the, the couple of the people that I refer to were roommates. I still actually correspond with quite frequently. That's incredible. Yeah. What would you tell a young person today who is considering a UWC education at Pearson or the, any of the other 17 UWCs around the world? Mm -hmm. I think I would encourage it. I, I think there's a couple of things I would say. One is that you know, the, the academic education is excellent. Uh, and in that case, if that's what you're after, great. Uh, but there are also lots of other places you'd get that particular academic education. What makes uh, a UWC unique, uh, again, is, is the context in which that education is delivered and the opportunities that you have to learn differently. And so, you know, you can open a book, you can listen to a lecturer, you can have a conversation that's, you know, relatively interactive and learn a lot. 
But when you do that and then you layer in the ability to have those conversations with people from you know, dozens and dozens of other countries and backgrounds uh, and, and ages and experiences and interests, and then you also layer onto that the ability to have some interaction with the local community in some fashion, which I think and I hope is still based on the concept of you know, service to the local community, then that multi-layered approach to learning, I think, is unique and is something that uh, it, it certainly I would absolutely encourage uh, folks to do. In fact, my, uh, my older son actually is a Pearson grad, and, uh, and so that, that's a long and different story. But <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's something that I think is worth pursuing if you want um, a good academic education in a very unique context. We're coming to the end of our time together, but I did want to ask one question. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned earlier in our intro in our land acknowledgement that Pearson is located on the traditional unceded territory of the Chianu Beecher Bay First Nation. Yep. And rebuilding our relationship with the Chianu community is part of our overall reconciliation initiative. Mm -hmm. The city has established some very effective working relationships with mm -hmm. First Nations and Indigenous organizations. Yes. Do you have any advice for the college in reaching out authentically to Indigenous communities? Uh, one of the things that I alluded to earlier that we've done here, which is unique as far as we can tell in the continent, is that we went to the, the two nations on whose territories we exist um, and said, uh, we're really keen, we want to figure out how to do this together. We proposed something to them that was very conventional and very typical of a city and a municipality. They listened to us very thoughtfully and patiently and literally patted us on the head, the chiefs, and said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Uh, and so we then set with them and spent almost a year trying to figure out what would work for us as a pro process for us collectively, for the two nations and the city. And we created something called the City Family. And it is based primarily on the Lekwungen tradition that family units are the core of decision making. And certainly in the area, in our area, there are, depending upon which history you, you consider, between five and ten core families that make up uh, the local nations, the uh, Lekwungen nations anyway. And um, those, that core group is the, the actual uh, heart of decision making for all of those families which became the heart then of the nations. So we actually constructed a city family that has, has members, siblings, uh, from each of the nations and the city, both in the city, both staff and elected people. And this group, this family, meets regularly, and this is the catalyst, the heart of the city's contention, intention, commitment uh, to relationship building with the nations. And so the reason that I use that as an example, first of all, it's extremely unusual, it's very challenging, it's extremely difficult, it's very frank and very open, and like any family conversations, you know, we deal with everything and anything, and it has created a number of quite remarkable decisions over the years that it's been in existence, it's been in existence five or six years now. Uh, and the, the, I use that because what, what makes it work is our willingness to be vulnerable and our ability to be wrong and for that to be okay. And for us to be able to create a relationship that is very individually based but is a collective in the sense that we have to come to agreements, they're not decisions, they're agreements uh, about how we work together, how we move forward, what things are important for the city and for the nations and for our various residents. And ultimately our goal is always to be looking forward to say how do we make the lives of all of our people better as we move into the future, not ignoring the past by no means because the past has been so difficult um, and it's, we're only just seeing now how difficult, uh, but to 
to learn from that in a way which allows us to individually and collectively imagine a different future together. And so I think the only advice I would give, you know, when you hearken back to something that's authentic is for us it's worked because it's been personal, it's been individually based, that's then expanded into a collective. But it's been the vulnerability and the willingness to be exposed, the willingness to be, to be wrong, the willingness to um, really be able to understand that the goal for this, the goal for this process has not based on any one person's belief system or any one person's bias or any one person's individuality or understanding. And yet it is based on all of those things. Mm -hmm. And that conundrum, I think, is what makes it work. Uh, collectively as a group, uh, the mayor is the facilitator of the group uh, and is considered the matriarch of the group. Uh, which is a very special place to be and uh, the others are the siblings of the group and a sense of absolute equality and it is the most uh, it is the most unique opportunity I think I have ever seen and I would say uh, in anticipation of a potential other question uh, when I eventually retire as I will <laughs> either voluntarily or by the choice of the people uh, I will look back on this time and I will say without question that I never expected or anticipated the opportunity that would be presented in this time uh, from an effort, uh, both as an individual and as part of a collective, I never anticipated how life-changing the work with the nations would be. Mm -hmm. It is the one thing that uh, wasn't on my radar when I started. Uh, it became quickly part of it almost by happenstance as, a, as I was invited to uh, a memorial service for the former chief of the Songhees Nation. And um, I know you're running out of time, but the, the, the notion of that was that uh, a number of us from council went as a protocol event, uh, was invited, and uh, it was four and a half days long. And I stayed for the whole four and a half days, and I was the only elected person who did. And by the end of that time, um, yeah, it was, it was a life-changing experience, even just that. Mm -hmm. And that opened a door where I began to learn that the most important thing in dealing with these nations here is you just have to show up. And you show up, you know, when they need somebody to help pull weeds, and they need you to show up when, you know, they need somebody to help serve food or, you know, clear dishes, and they need you to show up when they have important ceremonies where you're an honored guest or a feature and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And it's that sense of uh, the more you open your heart to them, the more they open their hearts and lives to you. And uh, that opportunity to be part of that community, to be part of that family is profound. That's part of the interview. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. Incredible. It's, it is a remarkable thing. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for your time, Marialto, and we hope you stop by. Yes, love to. For a visit. Well, thank you so Lovely much Lovely speaking with you. Oh no, it's a great pleasure. If you would like to learn more about what we do at Pearson, visit our website at www.pearsoncollege.ca. You can also subscribe to Pearson E-News and keep an eye on our social media pages for the latest updates.